Chapter Twenty Two of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. Striking the Trail. It was Sunday once more, a bright morning in June, and Caffyn was sitting over his late breakfast and the Observer in his rooms in Bayswater. He was in a somewhat gloomy and despondent frame of mind, for nothing seemed to have gone well with him since his disastrous reception in Mabel's boudoir. His magnificent prospects in commerce had suddenly melted away into thin air, for his confiding friend and intending partner had very inconsiderately developed symptoms of a premature insanity, and was now under restraint. He himself was in debt to a considerable extent. His father had firmly refused to increase what, in his opinion, was a handsome allowance, and Caffin had been obliged to go to a theatrical agent with a view of returning to the boards, while no opening he thought it worth his while to accept had, as yet, presented itself. Mabel had not relented in the least. He had met her once or twice at the Featherstones, and, although she had not treated him with any open coolness, he felt that henceforth there must be an impassable barrier between them. Now and then, even while she forced herself in public to listen to him, the invincible horror and repugnance she felt would be suddenly revealed by a chance look or intonation, and he saw it and writhed in secret, and yet he went everywhere that there was a possibility of meeting her, with a restless impulse of self-torture, while his hate grew more intense day by day. And all this he owed to Mark Ashburn, a fact which Harold Caffin was not the man to forget. He had been careful to cultivate him, had found out his address and paid him one or two visits, in which he had managed to increase the intimacy between them. Mark was now entirely at his ease with him. His air of superiority had been finally dropped on the evening of Mr. Fladgate's dinner, and he seemed flattered by the assiduity with which Caffin courted his society. Still, if he had a secret, it was his own still. Caffin watched in vain for the look of sudden terror which he had once succeeded in surprising. At times he began to feel that it was some involuntary nervous contraction from which his own hopes had led him to infer the worst, for he was aware that countenances are not always to be depended upon, that a nervous temperament will sometimes betray all the signs of guilt from the mere consciousness that guilt is suspected. If that was the case here, he felt himself powerless. It is only in melodramas that a well-conducted person can be steeped in crime, and he did not see his way very clearly to accomplishing that difficult and dangerous feat with Mark Ashburn. So he hated Mark more intensely at the thought that, after all, his past might be a blameless one. But even if this were not so, and he had a secret after all, it might be long enough before some fortunate chance gave Caffin the necessary clue to it. Well, he would wait and watch as patiently as he might till then, and however long the opportunity might be in coming, when it came at last it should not find him too indifferent or reluctant to make use of it. While he thought out his position somewhat to this effect, his landlady appeared to clear away the breakfast things. She was a landlady of the better class, a motherly old soul who prided herself upon making her lodgers comfortable, and had higher views than many of her kind on the subjects of cookery and attendance. 
she had come to entertain a great respect for Caffin, although at first, when she had discovered that he was one of them play-actors, she had not been able to refrain from misgivings. Her notions of actors were chiefly drawn from the ramping and roaring performers at minor theatres, and the seedy blue-chinned individuals she had observed hanging about their stage doors, and the modern comedian was altogether beyond her experience. So when she found that her new lodger was quite the gentleman, and that particular about his linen, and always civil and pleasant-spoken, and going about as neat as a new pin, and yet with a way about him, as you could see, he wouldn't stand no nonsense, her prejudices were entirely conquered. "'Good morning, Mr. Caffin, sir,' she began. "'I come up to clear away your breakfast, if you're quite done. Sarah Ann, she's gone to chapel, and she's a primitive Methodist, she says.' though she can't never tell me so much as the text when she comes back and i tell her my good gal i says to her what do you go to chapel for and it's my belief that as often as not she don't go near it but there mr caffin if a gal does her work about the house of a week as i will say for sarah ann caffin groaned good mrs binney had a way of coming in to discourse on things in general and it was always extremely difficult to get rid of her she did not run down on this occasion until after an exhaustive catalogue a la mrs lirriper on the manners and customs of a whole dynasty of maids of all work when she began to clear his breakfast-table he was congratulating himself on her final departure when she returned with a bundle of papers in her hand i've been meaning to speak to you about these this ever such a time she said Binny, he said, as I'd better, seeing as you've got his very rooms, and me not liking to burn em, and the maid's that careless about papers and that, and not a line from him since he left. It would certainly be better not to burn the rooms unless they're insured, Mrs. Binny, and I should be inclined to prefer their not being burnt while I'm in them, unless you make a point of it, said Caffin mildly. Law, Mr. Caffin, who was talking of burning rooms? You do talk so ridiculous. It's these loose papers of Mr. Olroyd's as I came to speak to you about. You been a friend of his, and they line a burden on my mind for many a day, and littering up all the place, and so afraid I am a Sarah Ann'll take and light the fire with one of em these mornings. And who knows whether they're not of value, and if so, what should I say if he came and asked me for em back again? "'Well, he won't do that, Mrs. Binney, if it's true he was drowned in the Mangalore, will he?' "'Drowned? And me never to hear it till this day? It's quite took me aback. Poor dear gentleman, what an end for him! To go out all that way, only to be drowned. I do seem to be told of nothing but deaths and dying this morning, for Binney's just heard that poor old Mr. Tapling at number five opposite was took off at last quite sudden late last night, and he'd had a dropsy for years, and swell up he would into all manners of shapes, as I've seen him doing of it myself. Well, I'll look over the papers for you, Mrs. Binney, interrupted Caffin. I don't suppose there's anything of much importance, but I can tell you what ought to be kept. He would have solved her difficulties by advising her to burn the whole of them but for some vague idea that he might be able to discover something amongst all these documents which would throw some light upon Holroyd's relations with Mark. So when Mrs. Binney was at last prevailed on to leave him in peace, he sat down with the sheaf of miscellaneous papers she had left him, 
and began to examine them without much hope of discovering anything to the purpose they seemed to be the accumulations of some years there were rough drafts of latin and greek verses outlines for essays and hasty jottings of university and temple lectures memorials of holroyd's undergraduate and law student days then came notes scribbled down in court with a blunt corroded quill on borrowed scraps of paper and elaborate analyses of leading cases and acts of parliament which belonged to the period of zeal which had followed his call to the bar he turned all these over carelessly enough until he came upon some sheets fastened together with a metal clip this does not look like law he said half aloud glamour romance by vincent beecham beecham was his second name i think so he wrote romances did he poor devil this looks like the scaffolding for one anyway let's have a look at it list of characters Bowmel marston i've come across that name somewhere lately i know lieutenant colonel duncombe why i know that gentleman too was this ever published here's the argument he read and re-read it carefully and then went to a bookshelf and took down a book with the grosvenor library label it was a copy of illusion by cyril ernstone with that by his side he turned over the rest of holroyd's papers and found more traces of some projected literary work skeleton scenes headings for chapters and even a few of the opening pages with some marginal alterations in red ink all of which he eagerly compared with the printed work before him then he rose and paced excitedly up and down his room is this his secret he thought if i could only be sure of it it seems too good to be true they might have collaborated or the other might have made him a present of a plot or even borrowed some notions from him and yet there are some things that look uncommonly suspicious why should he look so odd at the mere mention of holroyd's name why did he get the manuscript recopied was it modesty or something else and why does one name only appear on the title page and our dear friend take all the credit to himself there's something fishy about it all and i mean to get at it job was perfectly correct it is rash for an enemy to put his name to a book especially some other fellow's book mr mark ashburn and i must have a little private conversation together in which i shall see how much i remember of the action of the common pump he sat down and wrote a genial little note asking mark if he had no better engagement to come round and dine quietly with him at the house in kremlin road that evening gave it to his landlord with directions to take a cab to mark's rooms and if he could bring back an answer after which he waited patiently for his messenger's return binney returned in the course of an hour or so having found mark in and brought a note which caffyn tore open impatiently i have a friend coming to dinner to-night mr binney he said turning round with his pleasant smile when he had read the answer it's sunday i know but mrs binney won't mind for once and tell her she must do her very best i want to give my friend a little surprise End of chapter twenty two